Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey everybody, it's Erin Carey, and I am so excited to be speaking with Dr. Brent Dorval today. He is the creator of the FIT test, and that stands for Food Inflammation Test. He was involved in the creation of the first HIV AIDS rapid diagnostic assay. Dr. Dorval has over 25 years of experience in strategic management of research, manufacturing, and regulatory affairs in the area of medical devices and diagnostics. Previously, Dr. Dorval held a number of management positions and served as an advisor to the World Health Organization Committee on Vaccines and Diagnostics, which I find so fascinating. Dr. Dorval has several patents covering rapid assays, novel biomarkers, and a novel poliovirus vaccine, which I'd love to get into that if we have time. Uh, Dr. Dorval holds a PhD in medical microbiology and immunology from the College of Medicine, the Ohio State University, and performed postdoctoral studies and was a visiting scholar in the Department of Chemistry at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. So Dr. Dorval, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, well, great. Thank you very much, Aaron, uh, and appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk a little bit uh, about food sensitivities and go over some uh, important points regarding food sensitivities. And uh, with that intro, let's just get started. Yeah. So today, what we're going to look at is we're going to uh, explore the intersection of inflammation, gut permeability, and immunity, and try to get a sense of that really how those three are connected and really integral to food sensitivities and as well as the application to a wide variety of other diseases. It just important initially, let's just look at a few objectives of, of the overall uh, uh, talk itself. We'd like to explore the role of different food sensitivities and the inflammatory cascade, the complement cascade specifically, and how it affects gut permeability. We'll look at the function of C3D testing in food sensitivities, that's very important, and discuss you know, the value benefits of early food sensitivity testing and patient compliance outcomes and the tools that uh, KBMO Diagnostics uh, provides. And we're gonna look again, inflammation and as a root cause of chronic conditions. So that is gonna be kind of a central theme. Inflammation, what is that and why is that important? Yeah, that's. I'm so glad that we are going over this because food sensitivities, that's a hot topic right now. And I know you'll get into how many people right now are struggling from that and how it's different from an allergy, but there are a lot of different tests that are testing these things, but your test just has an extra little, as, as one of my kids would say, it, it levels up. <laughs> it has an extra level that's really important. So I'm super excited about this. Yes, thank you for that, Aaron. And what we'll do is in a few slides ahead, we'll go ahead into that specifically and hopefully flesh that out a little bit. Yeah. But I just wanted to go over a couple definitions. They're very basic. Food allergy, I think everybody must know that's an IgE mediated response. It's a type one hypersensitivity. 
And that's like the peanut or fish where you have an immediate response and uh, it can be life-threatening. And very often these individuals have a pen, an EpiPen uh, to uh, inject adrenaline, which will reverse uh, some of the uh, reactions associated with this. We'll be speaking today about food sensitivity and that's an immunologic reaction to food. It's either IgA or IgG, and it does involve complement. So those are, if you look in the textbook, type two and type three reactions. So those specifically. We'll be talking about IgG today and not IgA, but I thought I would mention that. And then of course there's food intolerance. That's non-immunologic, you know, deficiency of an enzyme or some other component like lactose intolerance. And if you consume uh, milk or milk products, uh, of course you can't digest them and, uh, and you can get quite sick from, uh, from those. So what we'd like to just discuss for a minute is the formation of immune complex, because that's gonna be kind of a, a central theme here. So you ingest the food and eventually it gets to the gut and it, and it should remain in the lumen and then pass out of the body normally. But what happens in patients or people that have leaky gut is foods, food additives, chemicals, those sorts of things, they, they enter the gut but the gut's leaky. That means the tight junctions that are between the cells. And you see the tall cells, the columna epithelium, they become leaky, kind of like a sieve. These food antigens then traverse this cellular layer and they go through the basement membrane or the lamina propria. Once they get in there, then the business end really starts, meaning the immunologic reactions. You have antigen presenting cells, they activate T cells and T cells very often go sideways and they uh, can have not only a potent response against food uh, antigens, but a lot of times they cross react with host epithelium and antigens and cause autoimmunity. So that's another aspect of, of cellular immunity. But what we'd be talking about mostly is B cells get activated. And then what happens is they produce a variety of antibodies in succession. So first they'll produce antibodies, IgM. Those are early. Within a few days, you get IgM followed on by IgG. So those are the long lasting antibodies produced by B cells. What happens is something very interesting. Those antibodies then bind to food antigens and cause immune complexes. So antigen, antibody, that's called an immune complex. What happens is a lot of times these immune complex, they don't get cleared normally and they deposit right in the tissue. And what happens is you get complement activation on the, right on the tissue. So that is a, a couple things happen. You get C3A and C5A. Those are potent inflammatory molecules. Those are released. And, but lastly, you can also get cell lysis if the terminal pathway of complements activated. They call that the membrane attack complex you lyse your own cells. And of course that generates tremendous inflammation. And then a lot of the symptoms associated with food sensitivities, whether they oh, be gosh. headaches or some other type of irritable bowel type of syndrome. Wow, that is amazing information. So much at one time that I definitely want to ask some more questions and break down that information for our listeners, because I think what you're saying is so valuable. 
Before we get into any of that, I want to take a second to thank our sponsor for today's episode. This episode is sponsored by Apostrophe, a prescription skincare company for people that are ready to take their acne seriously. Prescription acne treatment works, but it's hard to get. You have to take time off work to see a doctor, sit in line at the pharmacy for your medications, maybe arrange for childcare if you're me until apostrophe. Apostrophe makes it easy to see a board certified dermatologist online. You get treated immediately and your medications are delivered right to your home. All you do is you fill out Apostrophe's online questionnaire about your skin concerns, your medical history. Then you just take a few quick selfies and your dermatologist will get back to you with a customized treatment plan tailored just for you. The best part is that Apostrophe offers topical and oral medications so you can treat your acne from the inside out and the outside in. Apostrophe treats acne, but they can also help you hit your other skincare goals like reducing redness, wrinkles, even dark spots. And I'll tell you, for me personally, I had been looking for a new topical treatment for my rosacea and acne because as I get older, my skin is just changing. And I was so excited to find Apostrophe. I love that the process was quick, I didn't need to schedule an appointment or like I said before, arrange for childcare. And I received feedback from a real dermatologist within just hours. Get $15 off your first visit with a board certified dermatologist at apostrophe.com slash sparking wholeness and use our code sparking wholeness. This code is only available to our listeners to get started. Just go to apostrophe.com slash sparking wholeness and click begin visit. Then use the code sparking wholeness at sign up and you will get $15 off your dermatology visit. That's A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash sparking wholeness and use that code sparking wholeness to get your dermatology visit for $15 off and we thank Apostrophe for sponsoring the podcast. Now, Dr. Dorval, we are talking about inflammation and the symptoms of food sensitivities, and you mentioned leaky gut, and so I really wanna clarify something. Are you saying that it starts with leaky gut, or is it that someone already has leaky gut, or do these things cause leaky gut? It, 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 you know, it could be both. Um, it's kind of the chicken or the egg, and that's a very good point. For instance, um, in some diseases, uh, uh, diabetes, uh, for instance, or if you had an intestinal infection, a virus, a bacteria, they can directly have damage to the epithelium. It causes leaky gut, and then that opens the door for food sensitive food antigens to cross and food sensitivities to to set up. Now, on the other hand. Uh, and you can also have people be treated with a variety of antibiotics. The antibiotics are very yeah. good at killing the organism that may be the offending organism, but it also alters the gut microbiome mm -hmm. and you uh, uncover the uh, epithelium and you start to damage it with food particles. So okay. food particles, like we've all heard about wheat and wheat products, they produce uh, certain peptides, certain small fragments of proteins that can be directly toxic and then open the tight junctions uh, themselves. So, and then you, it's a nasty little um, circular 
uh, problem because once it's opened up, then other food antigens get through. And so now you're setting yourself up for much, much uh, more intense uh, inflammation and food sensitivity. That's good. So, so basically you're saying these things, the food that we, that are supposed to nourish us and provide nutrients for us at some point, if our gut is leaky and they're all the, the barrier has been breached, basically these, yeah. your body is going to form an attack against the very things that are supposed to nourish you and keep you healthy. That, that's, that's a very, uh, very well put. Yes, that's exactly what happens. That's, I think that's good for people to understand. And even you mentioned wheat, the, is it the gliadin in wheat that creates, um, a, and I know you'll get into zonulin, um, mm-hmm. but that's something that breaks down the gut lining even more is even if you don't have a sensitivity or does it make you more prone to having a sensitivity? What, what, uh, if, uh, well, so gliadin is, is uh, has a number of portions of it that can directly um, impact the gut and, and open up tight junctions and, and cause inflammation. That's certainly in, in celiac and Crohn's and some of those, that's especially exacerbated. Now, zonulin is a mark. What happens is very often people that have leaky gut, irritable bowel, Crohn's, those sorts of syndromes, the liver produces a molecule zonulin, which is very efficient at opening tight junctions. And it really, it's not only an indicator that there's an inflammatory process going on, but it certainly exacerbates the problem. So we'll discuss that uh, a little bit later, uh, maybe in, in, in more detail. Okay, great. This is great information. So just a, again, general overview. I mean, food sensitivity and related diseases affect 100 million people worldwide, at least. That's probably very, very conservative and it's growing. People don't really understand why it's occurring now, but my feeling is that, I'll just say it, processed foods have a lot to do with this, I think, um, Mm -hmm. and and food additives. I don't think they were there in diets previously, and I think they must play a role, at least um, in part. Uh, and that's with the prevalence has increased 50% in adults and children in just the past few years. So there's something going on. Uh, it's probably multifactorial, but certainly f- food processing, I think, is involved in some way. And 90% of food sensitivities you find in the big eight, the big eight food groups, milk, soy, eggs, wheat, peanuts, tree nuts, fish, and shellfish. And obviously that's forms the mainstay of diet for most people, yeah, not only yeah. in the United States, but in the, in the world itself. An important concept is that one or one uh, food in a specific group may cause a problem, or it may be more generalized. So that if you were sensitive to one fish, it may be just that one fish, or it may set you up to a sensitivity for many fish, depending on which protein your body is reacting to. And the problem with food sensitivities is they're delayed. So it's, and, and occurs hours and generally several days after you ingest the food. So it's saying, okay, I don't feel well on Thursday, but you may have ingested the food on Monday and Tuesday for it. So it's hard for the person or the patient to really put their finger on, well, what is it that I ingested that makes me feel this way? So we'll help sort that out by doing testing. And the FIT test is quite good at that. 
And then delayed food sensitivities, as we discussed, is caused by IgG one and one through four and immune complexes that, that form and then activate complement, generate C3 and C5A. They, those are anaphylatoxins and they uh, cause generalized inflammation and then result in symptoms uh, for the patient. So this C3 and C5A, right? Yes. Is that those, so that's what you test that other tests do not account for most of the time. And that is what's, that's showing what is directly impacting or causing the inflammation, right? Or that is the result of the inflammation at work. That, that right. um, those molecules will directly cause inflammation. So okay. those, they're caused, uh, called anaphylatoxin. What happens is the immune complex forms, it activates C3 and then C3 immediately splits off a little tiny molecule called C3A. And that then sets the stage for inflammation. Then further activation by complement, you can also generate C5A. So that's another protein that's activated. They split off these little components, but those two are, are, are a group of the most potent inflammatory molecules in the body bar none, more so than, mm -hmm. than prostaglandins or even leukotrienes. So very, very uh, potent inflammatory molecules. That's, that's good. So if you, so if somebody's taking this test and they see those reactions, that's a serious deal then, right? <laughs> Right. Our test measures not only the IgG, but it, it measures inflammation because we measure the aftermath of C3 activation directly. We do it in a direct measurement. That's good. Yeah. So the, so the question comes, when do providers use this fit, fit test? Why, why would you use a food inflammation test? And, and in general, when, when we talk to a lot of doctors, you know, it, patients don't feel well in general. They come in, there's something wrong, or they have something much more specific, like an autoimmune disease, thyroid, arthritis, brain fog, fatigue, digestive and skin issues are, are probably... 50, 60, 75% of, of all the things we see with food sensitivities. And then you've got other things that involve inflammation, fibroids, of course, cancers, endometriosis, that sort of thing. So, so the goal of the, of the FIT test is to identify foods that cause or potentially cause inflammation and get them out of the diet so the patient ultimately feels better. We, we're not saying we can cure autoimmunity or we can cure a thyroid problem or fatigue or any one of these things. But if you can identify a food that causes inflammation, you get it out of the diet, inflammation is re reduced and, and the patient feels better. And that's the goal here. It may only be 10% better. It could be 50 or 70% better. But the goal is to identify a food, get it out, reduce inflammation, and the patient will feel better. And I think it's so important. Again, you know, we, we've talked quite a bit on this podcast about the gut brain connection and yeah. how if you have gut issues with your gut digestive issues, a lot of time you will have issues with anxiety. And I mean, you mentioned brain fog and fatigue, but I mean, yeah. that is so connected that I know for me, just from 
practicing elimination diets and I'm excited to take the fit test for myself to see if there's something else that, that is causing inflammation, because I just know there are a few things that when I don't consume those things, my brain is so clear mm-hmm. and I sleep better. I'm not, I don't feel anxious or I don't have any racing, you know, unmanaged thoughts. And I think that's so important for people to understand that if it's causing inflammation in your gut and in your body, your brain is going to suffer as well. So I'm, I'm so glad that, that this test is available to look at that. Well, that's a very important uh, point, uh, Aaron. I'm glad you brought it up because the intersection between the blood and the brain is the blood brain barrier and it's the choroid plexus. And that is a, a, a small group of vessels that are in the ventricles of your brain and they have tight junctions. So if you have leaky gut, you may have leaky brain. And I know people mm. used to say that's absolutely crazy. But it's been shown that the tight junctions also get opened in the choroid plexus. So it's not an efficient filter anymore. And some of these mediators, some of these molecules may gain entry actually into the cerebrospinal fluid and then cause some of these symptoms. So what heretofore was kind of that's nonsense people are starting to understand the link between the gut and the brain and realize how important it really is. Immune complexes and inflammation may be associated with a variety of things. And and ultimately the underlying problem for many conditions we see on a daily basis. So again, identify, remove, and hopefully the patient feels better by reduction of overall inflammation. That's what we're trying to do here. We, we not only get enhanced sensitivity in our test, but we also, it's a, uh, a measure of Im- inflammation. So you see on the, the conventional assays only measure IgG, that's it. The enhanced conjugate measures both IgG and C3D simultaneously, which is an indicator of inflammation. So you not only get better sensitivity, very, very good sensitivity. It gives you some indication of, uh, uh, of the intensity of the reaction. And uh, this test, uh, we patented it uh, a few years ago, and we find that it's very, very, and we'll talk a little bit about the clinical work we did with it. It seems to be very, very good indicator of foods that cause inflammation so that when you remove them, I think in general, patients do feel better once you identify that food. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And I think it's important for people to understand that you can remove to help start the healing process. But I I think a question a lot of people would want to know is, can you then add foods back in later after you've healed? Will your body have a better response after time? Yeah. I mean, in general, uh, again, during the elimination phase, you want to get out those foods that you tested positive for. So you get those out and then you add them back one at a time after maybe six, eight weeks, every, well, lots of physicians have different protocols. So they may say 10, they may say four, but the the idea is you stop eating a particular food, the antibodies go down significantly 
the half-life uh, is roughly two weeks for an antibody. So if you have an antibody today of 10, in two weeks, it'll be five. In two oh, wow. more weeks, it'll be two and a half. So they go down precipitously. So the idea is remove the food, reduce the antibody load, you'll reduce the immune complex load and the activation of complement. So during that process, the patient may start to feel better, but the idea would be now after that, add a food back one at a time and see if you trigger that immune response. Does, does antibody start to be produced again? If it is, it'll start to activate complement. And so if a patient eats this on Monday, it may be fine Tuesday, Wednesday, they say by Thursday, boy, my symptoms are back, my skin problem, a bowel problem. Uh, on the other hand, they may say, okay, no, that particular food doesn't seem to cause a symptom. So that would not be uh, a trigger food. So we use the elimination diet to do that. And if you have a trigger food, then get it out of the diet for a long period of time, six, eight, 10 months. Then the B cells that produce these antibodies become quiet. So sometimes you can reintroduce a food, albeit uh, infrequently. You don't eat it mm -hmm. every day and you may be able to tolerate it now. But the idea is to quiet the immune system down and then re-enter the food back into the diet and then see if it does cause any symptomology. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's helpful. And that's super interesting. Now, what about a person they take this test and they're seeing, and I know you, you have, um, you, do you have it color coded like where it's red, green, yellow, is it that kind of a thing? Like what if somebody sees it light up like a Christmas tree, but it's all red <laughs> then, and like everything that they eat is, is a problem for them. Have you seen that happen before? In general, this test, if somebody has leaky gut, um, kind of three things happen. And, and this test is very good at that. You have maybe a dozen, 15 foods that are positive that are either tan or red, three or four plus, very high okay. reactivities. Generally, candida comes up. And if we test zonulin, generally zonulin is high. So zonulin tells us there's leaky gut. Candida is like the canary in the coal mine. Candida is a normal flora in the intestinal lumen on your skin and elsewhere, but it's normal flora, but it's not normal flora to get through the gut epithelium and you start to produce antibodies against it. So that tells us that the candida, which is should be in low numbers, but in the lumen is somehow getting across the gut. So when you see that triad, high number of food reactivities, zonulins high, candida antibody is one of those high reactivities, then you're, you're most likely dealing with irritable bowel, some inflammatory process. It may be ill-defined, but it kind of tells the physician, the healthcare provider, we need to dig deeper and see what's, uh, see what may be uh, uh, going on. Yeah, that's, that, that's a, yeah, that's probably an indicator of a whole lot of other things going on. So that's good to know. Right, right, exactly. Now, the over, in general, the FIT test measures 132 foods, colorings, and additives. We have a finger stick capability. So you take a finger stick, and we'll show you that. And you dot it onto a Wattman paper, and you send it in. We extract the antibodies and immune complexes and analyze those. We have a very easy to understand uh, uh, patient report for both the doctor and the physician. If you've seen some of the reports for other tests, 
with numbers, I mean your head spins. Um, this is meant to scan in 30 seconds, you know exactly what you have to do. And we have other compliance tools, like we have an app. So now you can download your, the app and you can upload the patient report on uh, your smartphone. And we also offer uh, a diet uh, advice um, through a meal plan. That's good. Now the fit 22, if somebody is, is listening and is like, I really want to know, you know, just kind of the, the heavy hitters, if I'm reacting to the heavy hitters, is that what 22 is for? It's for like yes. the 22 top reacting foods that people can struggle with. Yes. That, that is meant to cover 50, 60% of, of all the food sensitivities that you would potentially see. And, and especially, you know, milk, egg and wheat. I mean, if you look at milk, egg and wheat, I mean, my God, it, we're, we're looking at, at right around, depending on the person, you, you, you're looking at about 50% of, of what's going on. One of those foods most likely is going to be involved. So that is included as a top line in, in the Fit22. And then we kind of fill it out and expand it from there. So somebody could take 22 and go, oh, I think there's still something else going on. There's something else bothering me. So that's when they would go maybe to the 132 or you start with the 132 because I found, I think yeah. it's interesting. You have canola oil listed on there, coconut yeah. oil, um, wine, <laughs> vinegar, spices. That's probably not on the Fit22, right? No, those are more generalized. Um, those are more generalized types of, they're in your diet, but uh, they're not... Um, what I mean, depending on the diet, it, they're not uh, the major problems. And so we don't include those in the 22. We, we reflex and you go into the 132 or the 176. Okay. That's, that's good to know. I think that's, that's amazing that so many things can be tested. <laughs> yeah, you can. You can. And, and, you know, today, I think people are getting away from the milk, wheat, eggs, meat type of diet. They're going into more if I could say holistic types of uh, uh, thinking about how they treat their diet. So we're seeing a lot more herbs and vegetables and different types of foods, you know, chia seeds and different things like that, that I, I you know, I, chia seed, I never, never heard of that until probably yeah. <laughs> five years ago. So while they're uh, a lesser part of the diet, I think the diet is moving towards um, a more natural and a more, again, holistic diet. So mm -hmm. that's beneficial for a lot of people. Now, is, is, is there a difference <laughs> between a blood draw and a finger stick as far as like, would it change the results if you're getting a vial of blood versus just some spots on a piece of paper? Good question. No, the sensitivity and the specificity have been carefully compared. So what we've done in-house is we've taken many samples and we've done what we call a match sample. So that, for instance, they draw blood from me, I would do uh, simultaneously uh, or, or sequentially, I would do a finger stick. So they had today, they had my blood, a drawer in that, we test them and we, we ask the question, okay, what is positive? What is negative? What's the intensity? And there's greater than 90% concurrence between the uh, blood sample that's a draw and, and the finger stick. So we wow. feel that it's, it's an acceptable alternative for people that prefer that. That's, that's good to know. I'm sure somebody was wondering that. So that's helpful. 
And, and also now this is just a depiction of a typical patient report, uh, as you alluded to, Aaron. And what you can see is high reactivity is red, lower react, uh, that's four plus, three plus is tan, uh, and, and so forth. So what we did is we wanted to design a report that just wasn't full of numbers and ranges. And it, people just didn't, don't understand these things. I've looked at other reports and I'm not saying the tests are bad. I'm not going to uh, um, go after any particular company. But we said, that's not where we want to be. We want a patient and a, a, to pick up a report, look at it and say, oh my God, red and it's wheat and gluten, I can't eat it. And you want to know that in seconds. That's helpful. And so anybody getting it, they would see the red and go, okay, I definitely probably need to steer clear of those things. That That's correct. And that's correct. And then, and then you say, okay, then now I put those in the elimination diet. I, I feel that a lot of food sensitivities and problems are caused by, by additives and food processing in general. I mean, additives are great. They, they, they may add taste. They make uh, the colors, they make food look pretty. Um, yeah, uh, you can store bread for a long time, BHA or BHT. But these are all, if you look at the structures, they're all phenyl compounds. And if you look sideways, you say, well, now you show me cancer-causing chemicals and they're all phenyl derivatives. So are these things really good for me? I mean, they may have a beneficial for food preservation and appearance, but should I really be consuming these things? So uh, I just blew up the additive section just to, just to highlight that. So it's a nice yeah. uh, section of the, of the aspartame, benzoic. Uh, butylated hydroxyanisole, MSG, there's a big one, polystorbate, and the reds, and saccharin, and a few others. Oh, I love that you include some of those food dyes on there too, because it's yeah. amazing how much those are in our diet and we don't even know it. Like I've seen different food dyes in Absolutely. bread. Like why, why does bread need food yes. dye? <laughs> you exactly. know? And that could be really problematic for somebody. That's, that's important. Right. And if you, yeah, we, we provide the provider's guide uh, to all the practitioners and we show the chemical structures of those things. And if you look at the chemical structures of those things, you'd say, I should not be consuming them. I mean, honest to mm. God, they are phenyl compounds and phenyl derivatives that in any other uh, uh, instance, you'd, you'd swear were very similar to uh, pesticides and other things that cause cancer. That, that's good to know. I think it's so important for parents to hear that because most of the food in children's food, whatever that looks mm -hmm. like, will contain these things. And yeah. I mean, nuggets and, you know, processed snacks and chips and can all the candy. Oh my goodness. We're the worst, I think, in this country of having food dyes in all of our candy. Um, I know in Europe, they've, they've taken it out in a big way, but I think that's really important to check for that. Now, is that available in the FIT 132 test or is it just the 176? No, that's available in the 132. And then we've added a few more additives and, and colorings uh, in the uh, expanded uh, uh, 176 pan. Okay, that's good to know. But people find those quite useful, as you mentioned, especially for children, because they're, they're uh, acclimatized now. To, to, uh, their, their cereal is red or yellow right. or some other color. And, <laughs> and, and, and that's what these are. I mean, they're really just additives and, and they don't add taste. They just add appearance, but and they're, but they're like you said they're chemicals, they're so, and chemicals. that and that does no good for the gut lining as well, right? That's absolutely correct, absolutely, and you get a lot of cross reactivities from that, and and that's also explained in the guide. So next, let's just 
talk a little bit about the Zonulin test that, uh, that, we're, that we offer and one that we're developing. So Zonulin as a molecule, uh, it's, it's a, a mid-sized protein that's found in the body. And what it does is directly opens tight junctions. So what happens is inflammation uh, occurs, uh, the liver starts to synthesize this particular molecule, and this just exacerbates what's already occurring. So tight junctions open up, and if you had uh, uh, intestinal permeability issues, this just makes it worse. So we measure zonulin. So as I mentioned, if you have a lot of foods that you're sensitive to, and you have a high zonulin, that's most likely an indicator of uh, irritable bowel or uh, leaky gut, as they call it. Now, some of the big offenders are glian, gliadin, certainly bacteria, and they all do one thing. They trigger zonulin release. So measurement of this molecule has been very, very uh, useful and helpful for a lot of people. So once, if you can heal the gut, then zonulin levels go down. So that's something we've also seen in patients over time. Wow. You identify the food, they get it out of the gut, inflammation goes down, zonulin levels go down, and, and almost without a doubt, the patient uh, feels some relief, feels some, some better, their, their symptoms resolve. And again, zonulin, uh, many diseases uh, cause uh, leaky gut or zonulin release. And we talked about a few autoimmune, celiac, IBD, uh, for sure, uh, you know, type one diabetes, et cetera. I won't go through and the asthma. Whole. Asthma's on the list. That's a on the yeah, list. Again, tight junctions are everywhere. And um, where you have inflammation, you tend to open these things up. And again, it's chicken or the egg. Were they mm -hmm. open and then I get asthma? Or did asthma be triggered by? an environmental allergen, and then it causes tight junctions to open up. So um, the, the net result is you have zonulin release. And if we measure it, at least it's a good tip off to the healthcare provider that there's some inflammatory process and we have to uh, look a little bit deeper, maybe a lot deeper. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then clinical studies. We did some interesting clinical studies with the FIT test. So what we did was we did a retrospective study initially. So no one had done this study before. Everybody says food sensitivities, they don't work. It's a bunch of junk, blah, blah, blah. You know. So we said, look, let's see if we can show that these uh, tests are at least efficacious. So what we looked at was if a patient came in and then what we did, we said, okay, what are your symptoms? So you list your symptoms in a, much like you go into the doctors, they give you a list, list your symptoms. Do you have this? Do you have that? And then what's the severity on a scale of one to five? One low, five very severe. So what we did was we said, okay, what were the test results for these patients? And we broke it down into severe, high, and moderate category. Initially coming in the door, what were, what were the reactivities? And what were they complaining of and how severe was that? And then we said, okay, let's, let's see if we can't determine that. And then we said, okay, let's identify the foods, get them out of the diet, 
And then, as I mentioned, once you identify them and it's a trigger food, eliminate them for like even 10 months. Then tight junctions heal. It takes a long time for the gut to heal. Tight junctions mend and food doesn't get through. So then at 10 months, let's retest these people and see if they still have high reactivities. After 10 months, the severe high and moderate reactions went down in a very significant way. That's crazy. And I love these, I love these sorts of studies where you don't need fancy statistics. I don't need to give you a p-value of 0.05, which people just their eyes roll back. You can just look at this graphic and you can say, wow, these patients came in, they had a lot of high, moderate, and severe reactions. After 10 months, we got them, we got them down. They had much, much less of all of those high, severe, and moderate. So patient, the, the take-home message here is that patients came in with a lot of symptoms that were much more severe. We identified the foods that they were sensitive to. The antibodies and immune complexes were, were reduced. Inflammation was reduced. Upon second test, they said, wow, my symptoms have either gone away in some cases or certainly been reduced significantly. And I want to just, again, for the listeners, anxiety, mood, and depression, there were yeah. 20 people reporting that they were experiencing that before. And right. then after the second test, only three. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. So if you're having, experiencing mental health issues, and I, I always say this, I say that it could just be a symptom of, of an underlying issue in your body that's out of balance. And if food is causing that inflammation and causing or contributing or assisting in leaky gut, whether like you said, chicken or egg, I mean, that mm -hmm. is huge. And things like sleeplessness and there's even right. sugar cravings on there. And I, I think allergies, wow, how many people talk about issues with allergies? And I, that's, this is really, really important for, for people to, again, I always say, be your own health advocate. This is a great way to advocate for your health. That's important. Right. And again, I don't, I know other people say, well, you take our tests and we can cure you. We don't cure anything. But what we do is we hope to identify foods, reduce inflammation, and the patient feels better. So a patient that comes in and says, I get severe headaches two or three or four times a week, you identify foods. And then after that period of time, it's not like they don't have headaches anymore, but they say, wow, I used to have these almost every day and they were debilitating. I might get one once a month now or once every other week and it's much less severe. So we say that on that basis, we've helped that patient identify things, get it out of the diet and they feel quite a bit better. And I think it's been quite effective doing that. Yeah, yeah, this is exciting. And this was an independent study uh, of, a, of another lab that actually did the testing for us at the mm. time. So we, uh, KBMO Diagnostics did not have control over the patients or the data. So that's even, even more convincing. This was not an in-house study. It was with another group uh, uh, that was doing the testing at the time. For sure. But we did do one more study with irritable bowel because there's, there's, there's kind of a couple themes that go on with, um, with food sensitivities, as I mentioned. Bowel problems and skin problems seem to go hand in hand. Mood, anxiety, depression. So you get this brain function or dysfunction with food sensitivities. 
uh, they seem to go hand in hand. And also food sensitivities seem to exa exacerbate other problems that already exist. Like um, it could be headaches, it could be allergies where we don't measure IgE, but it's one more factor that you add upon another inflammatory process. If you get the inflammation out, they feel better. So we focused on irritable bowel because we know that a lot of people complain of this, especially these days, very high occurrence. So 18% of North Americans have irritable bowel. That's to me is, is very, very high. 25% seek uh, primary, secondary care for symptoms, and 5% are seen in a tertiary care setting, meaning they actually end up in the, in the hospital or, or something, like, uh, something like that. So it has a significant impact on a number of people. So we said, okay, what if they use the FIT test to identify foods that cause a problem? If we get them out of the diet, do we identify these foods accurately and do they feel better? So what we'll, I won't go through all the details. It was double blind, all that sort of thing. We'll go over that a little bit. But the real important thing is you look at the IBS severity score. So uh, to day one to the end of study. So zero is very low severity, obviously none. 500 is high. So you have these questionnaires. In the intervention group, which took the FIT test and removed the foods, there was a 127 point decrease in the severity wow. score. That's significant when you say, okay, the patient came in on day one and their score was 425. You've managed to reduce it, you know, uh, more than 25%, which is again, you're not gonna cure these people, they feel better. And when we looked at the randomized control group, we saw a 46 point decrease. So again, what you can see is there was at least a three times uh, uh, better result with the intervention group, those that took the test. By taking the FIT test, you don't cure anybody, but you wanna see a trend. Is the trend towards the markers going down? Are people feeling better? And, and is the IBS score uh, being reduced? And in general, I would say this is a good first start that would indicate that the, the FIT test identifies key foods that are involved in inflammation. Yeah, this is helpful. And, and it's just even to, to reduce symptoms is yes. so huge for so many people. Like you said, not going to heal, not going to treat, cure all that, but to reduce symptoms when for many people, they've tried maybe a thousand other things, you know, this is helpful. Right. I mean, in, in the past, I mean, um, this is a very, and, and patients like it because they can take control. You, I mean, here to four, uh, and I talked to a few doctors, if you couldn't give you, if I couldn't give you a pill for it or cut it out, the disease wasn't real. But here, if you can identify something, the patient feels better, chances are you can, you can lessen significantly an inflammatory process and you don't need to give somebody a pill. You can, you can try to nip it in the bud and then this doesn't set you up for problems later on. And I think that's a big take home message is you've got control. And if you feel bad enough, and we have a lot of patients that do, um, you'll pay attention to the results. And as I mentioned, this data was based on 100 patients. It was randomized to intervention and control groups. And, and um, again, uh, KBMO diagnostic and no control whatsoever 
on the results of this study. It was totally blind and we didn't know the results until the very, uh, uh, the very end and they came in. Uh, so in summary, the clinical outcomes, the FIT test was twice, uh, resulted in twice the IBS severity score reduction than typical cellular tests. Uh, the FIT test measure, resulted in 50% improvement in irritable bowel severity score compared with other tests, because we did look at a couple of other tests in parallel with the FIT, and they were not as predictive. Uh, so the conclusion was clinical outcomes uh, for IBS are greatly improved when using the FIT test to, produce, to predict food sensitivities, and that's exactly what we wanted to see. So I would expect these results to get better uh, in a bigger trial uh, with a more diverse population. Yeah, for sure. And as I mentioned, I did some, some rapid tests for HIV, and we're taking the technology that we developed quite a while ago for HIV, and we're rolling it over into food sensitivity testing, which no one else has been able to do, but I thought we could. And uh, it only took 10 years, so it was, wow. it, was, it was easy. So anyway, so that's kind of where we are. And we're gonna include zonulin at no cost with all the panels, the 22, 132, 176, as soon as we launch that. So that will be included. That's awesome. Is, yeah, we're, we're starting to, we're running a little over on time. So um, this is great. This is such good information. Is there anything, I mean, I know we're going to have to sum things up, but I definitely um, am interested in this fast test that you can decide, or you can determine in just like 10 minutes, if somebody responds to yeah. egg, milk, and wheat, is that right? Right, so we want to get 50% of the sensitivities in one test, it's one drop of blood, and you'll be able to do that uh, basically uh, in, in eight minutes, you'll, you'll wow. have the answer and it works very, very well. So that will be coming out. Uh, we do the COVID-19 testing. Uh, the conclusions are, I just wanna leave you with, we focus on quality, ISO 1345, FDA and CLIA. We have a patented test. We have great compliance tools. We've shown to have excellent clinical outcomes. And we have new products that are just coming out now. And uh, we have uh, uh, very good scientists and physicians uh, helping develop those. So I thank you very much. Sorry for running over. That's but I do appreciate everybody uh, uh, listening in today. That, that's awesome. I mean, it is so much good information and I am just fascinated by everything that you've put together and all the information that you've given us, I think can be so helpful for people to, I mean, if they want to, I'll, I'll be hopefully be working with the fit test to offer this test to people so that I can help coach on the elimination diet aspect of it, because that part can get really overwhelming, you know, like you see, Oh, I'm reacting to this, this, and this, how do I actually, you know, uh, eliminate these things for my food in a realistic way. And I, I am there to help people with that. And so I am so thankful for your knowledge, your expertise and everything that you've shared today. Thank you so much for being on. You're welcome. And if anybody has any questions, please forward them to Aaron and uh, I'd be happy to, to, to answer those for you. And the website, I need to make sure I catch the website and list that. Will you give everybody the website? <laughs> yes, it's www.kbmodiagnosticsplural.com. 
Awesome. Yeah. Well, everybody can and look there for the testing and more information. But again, I will put this PowerPoint on YouTube so that you can see the visuals and all the information, because I think that's going to be really helpful for everybody, too. So, again, I appreciate your time. This has been so helpful. Great. Thank you, everybody. And, and stay well. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.